Amen. My favorite part of that song, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Anybody thankful for that reckless love? Got any, got any sinners in the house this morning? You better watch out. The reckless love may be coming after you. Uh, some people wonder if God could save, save them. They'd tell you how bad they are. Listen, he'll come after you, and uh, he'll get you. Amen? Reckless love. That's, that's a picture of Jesus stepping out of heaven for sinners. Uh, we're in Colossians this morning. Colossians 1, we're going to begin in verse 24. Finish up chapter 1, get into chapter 2 this morning. We're going to talk about the stewardship of the gospel. Our stewardship of the gospel. So find your place if you would, and, and we'll stand together and honor the reading of God's word. And so won't you go ahead and stand? <clears throat> Got a good friend this morning, Nehemiah. I'm so glad he was my worship pastor in Lancaster. He didn't even tell me he was coming. And uh, I love this guy. Uh, thank you. Welcome, Lindsay and the family. And uh, so glad to see them this morning. I'm glad to see all of you. Uh, just a little extra glad to see Nehemiah. He's a, he's a good one. And can preach and sing. <clears throat> anyway, love you, brother. Verse 24, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I, am a minister, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, but he powerfully works within me. Now I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Father, teach us today your word, and may we have a better understanding of the fullness of Christ, of Christ in us, the work of Christ through the gospel, uh, the invitation to, to believe upon Jesus. Uh, Lord, I, I pray your Holy Spirit would would help us to understand that. And, and for the believers gathered here this morning, I, I pray that you would work in our hearts in regards to our stewardship of this good news, that we'll be faithful to go and proclaim Jesus, the hope of the world. You stir our hearts, Lord. Help us to be responsive. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So last week we looked at this key phrase, I said it was one of the themes of Colossians, it's at the end of verse 18, that in everything he might be preeminent, that he might surpass all others. Uh, that's so important. This is a Christ-centered book, and, and Jesus is to be uh, preeminent. Well, this morning before we get started, I would just want to point out three words in verse 28, him we proclaim. Church, that's what we do as a church. That's what we do as believers. We proclaim Jesus. We're going to talk about that this morning, and we're going to talk about our stewardship of this good news. And so uh, Paul begins 
here by saying, he's writing to a little church called Colossae in a little town called Colossae. Uh, he begins by saying, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. I, I rejoice in my suffering. Now, Paul says things like that sometimes, and, and uh, we think, well, he's in prison. Uh, you'd think maybe he's embarrassed, but he's not. Uh, he rejoices in being able to suffer for the cause of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul experienced the reckless love of God. He was going on the way to Damascus. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9. He was going to persecute Christians, and the Lord showed up, blinded him, saved him, changed his life, called him to be a, a minister to the Gentiles, apostle to the Gentiles, and, and uh, Paul never got over it. And so the first point I want to make this morning is simply we should expect some suffering in ministry. We should expect some suffering in ministry. Now, we live in the 21st century, and uh, we go out of our way to avoid suffering and persecution. Uh, but if you ask the saints in the first century when, when Paul is alive, they would say that suffering is really part of the job description for a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, sometimes we act like we, we've, we've been persecuted if someone shuts the door in our face or if someone ridicules us. This, that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about real suffering. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'll just give you a little example. He says, five times uh, I received the hand, at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes. That, that's a good old-fashioned scourging. Well, he'd gotten five of them. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times a shipwreck. And somebody shut the door in my face. That's, Paul says, listen, I, I was shipwrecked, uh, frequent journeys, dangers from rivers, robbers, from people, from Gentiles in the city, in the wilderness, at sea, danger from false brothers, and tool and hardship, many a sleepless nights, and hunger and thirst, often without food. Man, some of us will be out on that one. We, we don't want to do without food, do we? In cold and exposure. Uh, that's suffering, church. We should expect some suffering in ministry. And Paul says, besides all that, just the daily pressure of and my anxiety for the, for the churches. And so through the grace of God, Paul was able to find joy even when he suffered for Christ. 2 Corinthians 7, 4, at the end of the verse, it says, In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. Joy at the thought of suffering for Christ. You know, we often leave suffering and, and uh, sacrifice out of, uh, out of following Christ. We, we shouldn't. I mean, Christ suffered. Uh, Paul suffered. Uh, Jesus said in Acts 9, 16, I, I will show him, that's talking about Paul, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. A German pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. He says that when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. How about that for an invitation? Come and follow Jesus and, and maybe give up your life. Listen, there are Christians around the world today that, that they, uh, they're in danger every time they go and worship. Every time they live out their faith, they do it so in danger. And it's okay. It's worth, Jesus is worth the the cost. And so Paul willingly and joyfully suffered on behalf of others. Specifically, Paul suffered for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. That verse 24 there, it begins with the word now. It's not just a transition. I think it points back to 
to what Paul was talking about last week in verse 23. He talks about the hope of the gospel, and he says, uh, for which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul certainly was not ashamed of the gospel. He knew it was the power of God to save anyone, Jew or Gentile, anyone who would believe there was power in the gospel. And so Paul was committed to take the gospel to all people, Jews or Gentiles. He didn't care. He had a gospel perspective on life. Listen to his perspective in Philippians 1.12. He's in prison and he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's chained to a Roman soldier, and he says, listen, it's all, God's working it all for good. The gospel is going, it's, they're taking me all over the places, and they've got someone chained to me all the time, and, and uh, every time they chain someone to me, I'm going to give them the gospel, and it's going to spread. That was his perspective. And then in verse 24, he also tells us that he suffered for the sake of the church. He, he says something a little strange. He says, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Now, let's be careful here. Paul is certainly not saying that there is some insufficiency in what Christ accomplished on the cross. I mean, he already said back in verse 22 that that, uh, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Jesus has brought about reconciliation uh, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And so Jesus, everything that we need to be saved was accomplished at the cross. And so Paul's not saying that he's adding anything to that. All we have to do to be saved is respond to, uh, to the gospel message in repentance and faith. So what's Paul talking about? Well, it seems here that Paul says that, that uh, uh, the body, the church, is Christ's body. And so, in a sense, when Paul suffered, Christ suffered. And think about this. Christ suffered in his death to save the church. Paul says that I'll suffer in my life to, to start churches. And so what Jesus began through his suffering and his rejection and his persecution on earth, uh, I believe Paul is saying is that we completed in continuing in his body in the church on earth. And so part of that is that we should expect some difficult times. Jesus said in, in John 15, 20, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they persecuted me, Jesus says, and you're my follower, listen, they're going to persecute you. Here's the way John Piper says it. He says, Christ's cross was for, propiti- for, was for propitiation. Ours is for propagation. Christ suffered to accomplish salvation. We suffer to spread salvation. And so Jesus has taken care of all the suffering and the payment for our sins. And now we should expect to suffer a little bit as we take this good news. Let's think about this issue here for a moment. Uh, Paul talks about uh, the church there in verse 24. And uh, there are many who like to the thought of being in Christ, and yet they have a problem with being in the church. They say things like, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. You ever heard that? Or I need Jesus, I don't need the, the church. That's a whole lot, say, a whole lot like saying, I, I like you, preacher, I, but I, I don't like your wife. We're not going to be very good friends then. It's like saying to Jesus, I love you, Jesus, but I don't care about your bride. Now listen, the local church is far from perfect. We've got people in it. And, and some of them are lost. Amen? 
And, and, and there are disagreements, and sometimes they're, they're resolved poorly, and, and sometimes there's lots of bureaucracy in the church. Shake your head like this. And, and sometimes the church asks for money so we can do ministry. And, and listen, the music style changes sometimes, and, and there's all kinds of criticisms about that. And, and people often act one way in the building, and they act a different way outside the building. And, and yes, yeah, sometimes it would be easier just to wash our hands of the church. But the truth from the scripture is we cannot separate being in Christ and his church. To be in Christ is to be in his church. And so listen, I love the church. Uh, Frustrated with her sometimes, but I love the church and I believe it's the hope of the world. It's God's plan. He only had one. It's God's plan for taking the gospel to the world. And so listen, I believe if Paul was writing a letter to the churches today, he would begin with this very issue. He would say that the church is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. Jesus gave his life for the church. And so quit whining about the church and start loving the church. Start praying for the church. Start serving the church. Because one day the bridegroom, Jesus, is going to come back for his church. And along the way, expect a little bit of suffering. It's okay. Expect to suffer a little bit as a follower of Christ and as a member of a church. Uh, listen, church, uh, suffering is part of our discipleship. Uh, Christ's followers are known uh, as they, uh, by the trials that we endure as we follow a suffering Savior. We had a suffering Savior, didn't we? Well, shouldn't we expect a little bit of suffering? Here's what Peter said, 1 Peter 4, 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. Don't be surprised by that, church. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Rejoice in that, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory. Listen, we'll be glad when His glory is revealed, amen? But rejoice even now in the suffering. And so the first point this morning is this. How far are you willing to go in suffering for the sake of the gospel and for his church? Verse 25. Of which I become a minister or a servant according to the stewardship from God. I'm going to talk a little bit about this stewardship. Not only should we expect suffering in ministry, but secondly, we should excel... We should excel as a steward of this sacred mystery. Paul mentions our stewardship from God. Uh, steward. You know what a steward is? It's a, it's a well-trusted servant who the master leaves to care for his estate. We're stewards of the gospel. Jesus has entrusted the gospel to our care. And he's going to come back one day and see how we did with the gospel. Paul realized that he had a special stewardship. First, he was a steward of the word of God. Paul was a, a minister, a servant, and his stewardship was, it, in verse 25, to make the word of God fully known. As a pastor, I recognize this stewardship to preach, to make the Word of God fully known. I, we can't shrink back from that. We have to preach the whole counsel of God. I, that's why I love to preach the books of the Bible, because whatever comes up is what we deal with, even if, if, if it's not popular amongst the people that hear it. Because people need the whole Word of God. And listen, here's the truth. I'm going to stand accountable to God one day. I'm not, 
Not man, but God. Man, I take that pretty serious. He's the one to whom we have to answer. Someone has said that the pastor's job is to comfort the afflicted. I like doing that. But it's also to afflict the comfortable. I'll look out every week and I see a lot of comfortable people. That sounds like something Paul would say. Listen, I think Paul would say to us preachers, don't let them be comfortable. The church is way too comfortable today. We're all worried about how it feels this morning and the right atmosphere and the sound and the lights. and we're, just, we're all worried about our comfort and yet people are perishing without Christ. Should we be comfortable? Today people say things like, well, I just, when I go to church, Nehemiah, I just want to be encouraged. Listen, if you're, if you're outside of a relationship with Christ, you should be anything but encouraged. You need to be convicted about your sin. Apart from a relationship with Christ, you are living under the wrath of God. You're going to a real place called hell apart from Christ. I don't want you to be comfortable in that. Jesus is the only way to be saved. And so, Burlington Baptist Church, let's, let's be a people that stand on the Bible, and let's be committed to making known the Word of God. Let's make it fully known. And listen, if you aren't for that, I pray the Holy Spirit to get a hold of your heart. Because the Master's coming back. And my heart's desire is that we as a church would be faithful stewards of the Word of God. Faithful stewards. Not only would we be stewards of the Word of God, but, but stewards of the mystery of God. Listen to verse 26. The mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. This mystery. Paul often talks about this mystery. What's he talking about? When his letters, Paul is, defines the mystery of God calling all peoples everywhere to faith in Christ, both Jews and Gentiles. When you go back to the Old Testament, the, 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 the Jews felt like that, that the Messiah was coming for them. They, they, they never really understood that he was going to come and, and this gospel would go forth and all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, could be saved. And so we keep reading in verse 27. It says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Aren't you amazed that God would allow you and me to experience salvation in Christ? Doesn't that amaze you? Do you realize that we're sinners, wretched sinners? God is completely holy. And we realize how holy He is and how sinful we are. We ought to be amazed by the grace of God. I, mean, I don't deserve it. Anybody in here deserve God's grace and salvation. But when we contemplate the magnitude of this mystery, it, it ought to change our perspective on life. It ought to call us to be faithful stewards of all that God has entrusted to us, our time, our, our talents, our treasures. We ought to want to use them to make known this good news. Now, I'm going to come back to this mystery before we get done, but verse 28, uh, at the end of verse 28, it says that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The, the third point this morning is just embrace the struggles for spiritual maturity. Embrace the struggles. We have some staff meetings and we're going through a, some discipleship stuff and this week we, we talked about 1 Timothy 4, 7. It says to discipline yourselves, exercise yourself, train yourself for the purpose of godliness. Anybody like to exercise? Discipline yourself? Anybody like that? 
Paul tells Timothy to exercise, train, discipline yourselves that you would grow in godliness. And church, that takes effort and that takes discipline. Paul delineates some of the efforts for spiritual maturity here in verse 28. He says, first notice that proclamation is needed. Verse 28, him we proclaim. We started with that. This, this in the Greek is very emphatic. It's like Paul saying, him we proclaim. Him. If you, if you can write in your Bible, I encourage you to underline those three words. That, church, that's our job description. That's our mission. That's what we're to be about. We're to be about proclaiming Jesus. And, and it, this word proclaim is kind of a, an official proclamation. It's, it's almost as if someone is proclaiming something under the authority of the king. And so if you're a spokesman for the king, whatever you're proclaiming, it should be clear and accurate, and you should do it under his authority. And listen, church, when we go out and proclaim the gospel, we do it under his authority. The Great Commission, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations and, and baptize them and teach them. And, and lo, I'm with you always. But we go in his authorities and we proclaim him. Second Corinthians 4, 5. We don't preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Listen, if you get an opportunity to share your faith, make sure you focus it on Christ and not on yourself. Nicholas Ludwig, he had this quote. Uh, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. I like that. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Listen, it's not about us. It's not about some preacher. Listen, I don't know how long the Lord let me stay here. A long time, maybe. But when I'm gone, it's not about me. It's about the gospel. Preach Christ and be forgotten about. Him we proclaim. Part of our spiritual maturity is our desire to proclaim Christ. And then notice Paul says that warnings are needed. Verse 28 again, warning everyone. That carries the ideal of, of helping to have someone's mind set in proper order. One thing we know about Paul, he didn't mind to, to, uh, to warn someone when they were thinking or doing something contrary to, to the Word of God, to the things of God. He would warn you. He loved people enough to warn them, huh? If you're driving down the road and you come across a wreck and, and, and you pass it and there are people coming, you, you know how you try to warn them? Where I came from, sometimes the cow's in the road. We'd flash the lights, don't try to slow them down. We want them to slow down. Church, when we grow in spiritual maturity, we, we will be willing to warn those when they need it. And not only warn others, but be willing to receive that warning. I mean, there'll be times where I might need some warning from someone. They say, preacher, you're going in the wrong direction. I need somebody to warn me. I need somebody to love me enough to warn me. And we need to love each other enough to warn one another. Warnings are needed. And then he says, teaching everyone. A, a third thing there, teaching is needed. The, this emphasis here is on communicating the Word of God. And Listen, if we have a desire to grow this church in spiritual maturity, and I, I hope we do, Teaching of the Word of God is paramount. Amen. I have to get down here and get my own. Jenny, give me an amen, honey. Listen, people are worried about activities and all this. Listen, what we need is the Word of God. Listen, we only get a couple hours a week with people. And so if you're a teacher, if you're a leader, listen, don't waste time with shallow and surface teachings and just a bunch of talk. Teach the Word of God. 
Jesus left us with a great commission, and he said to go make disciples. And part of that responsibility in Matthew 28, 28, 20 is to teach them all things that Jesus commanded us. Teach the Word of God. We have to make sure we take advantage of every opportunity to teach. I know some of my sermons are 35 minutes, and 38, 30, I don't know. And maybe it would be easier to, to get less material together. But listen, Paul's given me, a, I mean, God's given me a desire that Paul had there that we could present everyone mature in Christ. Listen, as your pastor, I desire your spiritual maturity. I, I might come off a little harsh sometimes. But this is because I want you to be growing in your faith. I want you to be mature, and I want you to grow in Christ's likeness. It takes discipline and exercise. Look at verse 28. Uh, we're to proclaim Christ. And I just want to point out here that when we proclaim Christ, uh, part of a biblical presentation of Christ is both warnings and teachings. You see that? In verse 28, Him we proclaim. We warn. We warn the lost that you're on a road that leads to the devil's hell. And then we not only warn, but we teach that, that faith in Jesus is the way of salvation and that through faith we want you to grow in your faith. We talk about spiritual disciplines. We talk about prayer and fasting and reading the Word and, and memorizing scriptures and, and witnessing. And the overall goal of proclaiming Christ through warnings and teachings is that you're able to present people mature in Christ. Listen, our, our, our focus should not be so much on numeric growth as it is spiritual growth. We ought to be more concerned about building believers than buildings. Amen? We want to grow believers. And Paul reminds us of something important, that, that spiritual maturity comes with struggles. Notice verse 29. For this, church, for your maturity, I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. This, For the sake of the maturity of the church, Paul says, I, I grow weary. I toil and labor. That word struggling is the, the word agony. And so let's get this, church. We are to labor and to struggle and just to get worn out in order to move people to maturity and devotion to Christ. I you know, I just I think about Wednesday nights. I I, I just I appreciate all you who come and work, especially with the kids on Wednesday nights. I, I know some of you've been working all day and you're tired. I, I know y'all do that. And you'll come and you'll spend an hour, hour and a half, you'll pour into the kids, you'll plant seeds of the God. Listen, thank you for that. That's the picture that Paul gives us that we toil and we struggle so that the gospel will go forth. And, and let me just point out something here important in verse 29. Paul didn't uh, just working his own strength. He relied upon the power of Christ. Notice it says, uh, for I this I toil, struggling with all, Paul doesn't say my energy, does he? With all his energy. I labor and struggle with all his energy. That's so important. His energy is needed. So Christ in us, he, I believe he provides us with his supernatural strength and energy so we can labor to propel people to maturity in Christ. And so, listen, here's how it looks. We put forth our energy, and he pours in his energy. We pour forth our efforts, and he pours in his energy so that we can accomplish his purposes. And so as you're doing this, ask God to give us strength and, and energy to burn brightly for his sake. And, and let's pour forth the energy to, listen, let's take it up a notch in regards to spiritual maturity. Amen? You think that would be good for us? Kind of take it up a notch? 
So those are the efforts required for spiritual maturity. And then quickly, chapter 2. I'll, I'll finish up quickly. Evidences of spiritual maturity. Uh, he mentions the church in Laodicea. That, that's just a close uh, city, about 9 or 10 miles away. And uh, they had a close relationship. We have churches that are close to us. And listen, God cares about all of them. If they're proclaiming Christ, God cares about them. And so uh, Paul is concerned about this other church that he's never been there. And uh, then we see four evidences of their spiritual maturity. Let me just run through these. Uh, verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged. Paul loved this church. He'd never been there, but he wanted their hearts to be encouraged. That word encouraged means to call alongside. It's, it's the picture of trying to lift something heavy. You ever done that? And straining. And somebody comes along and says, hey, let me get this side. You ever try to put something in the back of the truck and you're trying to Man, I, that's where I miss having a son at home. I'm trying to pick that thing up. But here's a picture of someone coming alongside to help you. And, and Paul wants the, the encouragement of the church. As believers, that's what we do with one another. We, we maybe see someone carrying a big load. We come alongside and help them. Man, I want to be the biggest encourager in this church. I want to be your cheerleader as you serve the Lord. I want to come alongside you and encourage you. Listen, to, I know what the enemy wants to do. He wants to discourage you and tear you down. And he's pretty good at it sometimes. And yet he calls us to come alongside one another and encourage one another and, and encourage you as you grow in maturity and service to the Lord. And then it says, being knit together in love. I'm going to just call that endearment. As members of the body of Christ. Listen, we're not to be out of joint. We're to be knit together in love. Y'all know this. I've said it. Some people are so quick to get out of joint. It shouldn't be that way in the church. You shouldn't be so easily offended. You should give some grace and mercy to one another. And if you're out of joint, then you ought to take every necessary step to be knit back together in love. And so that means sometimes you, you in your spiritual maturity, you go and meet someone face to face and you make things right and you get reconciled and you restore that, that relationship and you get knit back together. Listen, that's a picture of spiritual maturity. If you just hold on to your bitterness... You're a big baby. Yeah, that's what the Bible would say. You're a big baby. Any baby can do that. If you're growing in your faith, you're going to go talk to someone one-on-one -on -one and say, we're going to work this out. We're going to be knit together in love. Yeah, somebody, somebody help me. Verse 2, reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and knowledge. I'm going to call that one enlightenment. I'm going to end with that one. So let me skip that one for a moment. And fourthly, enthusiasm. Notice 4 and 5. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. There's come, some who come into the church and are trying to delude people with crazy arguments. We'll talk more about that. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Paul is encouraged by this church. He's encouraged by their enthusiastic obedience. He uses some military phrases here, good order and firmness. He says, I'm not there with you. In my physically, but I'm with you in spirit, and I, it's kind of like a a, a, a leader, uh, a general, inspecting the troops uh, to see if they're ready to go out in 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 war. And and he he says that you're disciplined and you're orderliness and you're prepared for the battle, and I'm I'm excited about that. He's got this picture of everybody's doing their part and they're standing united and. 
Listen, when we do that, we show our spiritual maturity, our orderliness, and our, our firmness in faith. And let me close with two and three. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Listen, I'm going to make sure we all have the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. Paul never got over this privilege of to reveal the mystery of the gospel. Again, that, that uh, the gospel goes out to Jews. Listen, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And so I, I think most of us here are Gentiles. The fact that the gospel goes out and we can, through faith, be brought together into the body of Christ, the church. And, and uh, he talks about that in the book of Romans. Uh, he talks about it in Ephesians 3. Let me just read a few verses from Ephesians 3, can I? Ephesians 3, 1. For this reason... I, Paul, a prisoner, I mean, it, the gospel got him in all kinds of trouble. I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace. He's talking about his, his responsibilities with this good news. How the mystery, he's talking about that mystery again. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. And so, again, what is this mystery? Well, look down in verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles, if you're a Gentile, raise your hand real quick. Yeah. Yeah. You're Gentiles. The Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. The gospel's for us, church. By believing in the gospel, we get the free gift of, of eternal life. We get all the blessings of the Messiah. It's, it's all for us. Isn't that awesome? We are heirs of God. We're joint heirs with Jesus. That's, the, that's this thing. And, and Paul says of this gospel, verse 7, I was made a minister according to the, the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, Paul knew that he was a scoundrel killing Christians. He, he, I'm the least of the saints, he says, but this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Listen, church, we have that privilege. Verse 9, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created. Listen, Paul says, I, I get the privilege. I can bring to light something that has been hidden in the past and that something that's been hidden is the gospel and now it's available and I can go preach it everywhere. I can plant churches everywhere. I can tell everybody about what Jesus has done and anybody that wants to repent and believe can be saved. That's the privilege that Paul said. And then he says in verse 10, notice verse 10, so that through the... Who? Yeah. Paul didn't say through me, did he? Through the church, the manifold wisdoms of God might, be, might now be made known to the rulers and authority, even the angels, all of them. I mean, all of heaven couldn't really understand what God was doing in bringing all people, all nations to Jesus. And Paul says, listen, I get to share that good news. The church gets to go proclaim that good news. Paul says, listen, I, they can put me in prison. They can beat the tire out of me. I don't care. I'm not going to stop telling this good news. And church, I don't think we should either because we're the beneficiaries. And so we're going to close in just a moment. It's, it's time. But let me just say this. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, 
and you trust in his life and his death and his burial and his resurrection, when you trust in Jesus and him alone, you become a spiritual child of God. That's what makes the church so unique. God, God sends his son. Remember last week when we said we were hostile towards God, aliens, foreigners, evildoers? That's verse 18. That's where we were at. And God sent his son to our rescue. And he went to the cross, took our sins. And now we are made holy and blameless. That's the good news of the gospel. And we're called to be stewards of the gospel. And listen, church, our, our master's coming back one day. And he's going to check on our stewardship. And you remember that parable about that one steward who went and buried? You remember that? He, he didn't invest it. He went and buried it. You all remember what he said to that? Foolish. You didn't know the master. Listen, there, there's some of you in here. I, I want to warn you this morning. You've buried God's treasure. And I want to tell you, he's going to come back and he's going to check on your stewardship. If he's giving you life and breath, he's giving you the opportunity to do something with that treasure. And so I want to ask you this morning, are you sowing seeds of the gospel? Are you investing in the gospel? Are you investing the, the gospel in the next generation so they'll understand the gospel and so they'll be equipped to, to share the gospel? Are you praying for, for the harvest in the gospel? And listen to us as a church. To, uh, Jesus said, to whom much is given, much will be expected. Y'all know this area is growing and getting ready to grow even more. You know what that means for us? That means our stewardship is increasing. That means more is going to be expected in regards to the gospel. That, that means that God's going to expect this church to reach more people with the gospel. And so let me just challenge you this morning to go from here proclaiming Christ. Warning the lost, teaching the word of God, and laboring for the spiritual maturity of the church. Listen, people need the Lord. And we've got the gospel. And so the question this morning is, is how is your stewardship with the gospel. How is your stewardship with the gospel? Let's pray. Father, we want to be good stewards. You're a good master. Oh, Lord, you've given us so much. You've given us the gospel message. You've given us means to share the gospel. You've given us life and breath and uh, believers to come alongside us. You've given us uh, mechanisms to take the gospel out there. You've given us so many resources. Lord, help us to be found faithful. Lord, we know all around us people are without Christ. They don't even understand. Some have never heard the good news. And so would you work within us this morning to encourage us to, to be faithful in proclaiming Jesus at work, at school, at wherever we are. Help us to be faithful in that. And Lord, my prayer this morning is there's, if there's a person here this morning that's without Christ, that they heard the gospel, that Jesus was lifted up. We've sung about his reckless love. I pray that if there's anyone here that's on the road that leads to destruction and hell, that this morning they'll be rescued and they'll come to know Jesus. 
They'll turn from their sins. And they'll believe upon Jesus. Would you do that this morning? We'll praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, stand with me if you would. And This is invitation. That's your chance to respond to God's word. And, and listen, some of you may need to come and say, Lord, help me to be more faithful with the gospel. Help me to sow seeds. Help me to pray. Help me to be faithful in the word of God, to teach it. Somebody might be here this morning that's not saved. Listen, Jesus came to save you. If you'll turn from your sins and believe, you can be saved today. I'd love to talk to you about that. If you want to remember Jesus' sacrifice, you can partake of the Lord's Supper this morning. Just respond this morning, would you? As the Lord has spoken to your heart, will you just, just respond in faith this morning?